Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com.
So we are uh, a roller coaster family. Okay? And, and just to be clear, in case you have Christmas gifts in mind, we still like Disney, okay? Um, big fans of that experience, but we're roller coaster people. And um, roller coaster parks, if it's a really good roller coaster park, is not interested in themes and environments and atmosphere. And one of our favorite places uh, for roller coasters is Cedar Point in Sandusky, Ohio. Now, Cedar Point, um, not a lot of theme there, not a lot of atmosphere, not a lot of environment. They're not trying to trick you into thinking that you're someplace else. The entire time, you are very well aware that you are sitting on a peninsula that's sticking out into Lake Erie. Okay, there's no bones about it, but there are roller coasters everywhere. And in fact, you can be in line for one roller coaster and have a completely different roller coaster fly over your head because they are stuffed into that little space that close together. And it's fantastic and we love it. Kings Island in Cincinnati is kind of the same way. Now they do have an Eiffel Tower in the middle of Kings Island for reasons that we're not really aware of. Um, there's not really a theme that's built around it, not really an environment, not really an atmosphere, but there are rides. One of the rides that I, I love at Kings Island is the Diamondback. And Diamondback goes really, really fast. And if you've never been on it, it's, it's a roller coaster that you, you get into the car and the car doesn't have any sides on it, doesn't have any doors on it. You just sit in a seat and then you pull a lap bar down, not even shoulder restraints, a lap bar down, and you are gone. And you are going really, really fast. And because it's called the Diamondback, it, it, it's called that because there are kind of these, this look of it that looks like a snake and it has these three very large hills and drops all in a row. And the reason that I know that there are three is that the first time that I rode the Diamondback, I was pretty sure that if there had been four, I would have passed out. But when you're at the top of those hills, those three hills of the Diamondback are about as high as you will ever be when you're at Kings Island. It's the highest of highs. And then you come over that hill and you plummet down to ground level on all three of the hills. In fact, there are points where it feels like you're going below ground level because you're not sure it's going to make the turn. Highest of highs, lowest of lows. I heard this week uh, someone talk about Christmas in those terms. He used this phrase. He said, it's the intensifying dynamic of Christmas. And, and what they meant by that was that Christmas is this time where our highs feel higher than they have ever felt before. And it is also a season where our lows feel lower than they have ever felt before. And there are some of you who are here at the beginning of this week and Christmas is on the end of it. And so you're looking forward to this, this week that's ahead because this is a week that um, you're going to experience the highest of highs. And you already know it. You can already feel it coming because maybe this is a Christmas that for the first time you're, you're going to have Christmas with your new child that's in your family. Or maybe it's your first Christmas with your new grandchild. Or maybe it's your, your first Christmas as a married couple and there's something special about that. Or maybe it's a, a Christmas where because of what's been going on the last couple of years, you've been separated from people and separated from connections and this is a Christmas where some of those folks that you dearly love, you're gonna get to be together for Christmas. And when you get together and when you come together in the house together in those moments, man, it just feels as though Christmas is a chance to celebrate the high that you are on. Just that sense of goodness that sense of life, the highest of highs. But Christmas also has that strange power of making our lows feel even lower, doesn't it? It can bring up and, and remind us of what's broken, of what's missing. Reminds us of the things in life that actually we don't want to be experiencing. We don't want to be going through, but we are. Maybe this year is a year that you, you lost your job. And you're not really sure what the future holds. 
Or maybe this is a year that has brought an end to a relationship. Or it's a year that you have lost someone that you dearly love. Or maybe it's a change that's happened in your health. And it's something that wasn't foreseen. You didn't see it coming. It's just here now. And for some of us, um, we feel like we're kind of on a roller coaster because somehow in this season, we are experiencing both the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. But if you've never noticed it before, that same reality was going on in the Christmas story, where both the highest of highs and the lowest of lows were experienced at exactly the same time. Look with me this morning at Joseph. Joseph of Mary and Joseph fame. Joseph is right by Mary's side, really, all the way through the story of Christmas. He's right by Mary's side in in multiple times that we see, and, and even in multiple times in the early stages of Jesus' life, but Joseph is a storyline that often gets overlooked. Joseph's a pretty quiet figure. In fact, throughout the New Testament, we don't have a single word ever recorded of anything that Joseph ever said. But Joseph was not a passive bystander in the story. Joseph faced, though, what for him was one of the most unwanted gifts he could have possibly imagined as part of the Christmas story. And his response to that unwanted gift changed his life and changed the story of Christmas and could change your story too. See, here's what we read about Mary and Joseph from Matthew's writing and Matthew's gospel. If you have your Bible, you're welcome to to join with me in this this storyline that we see in Matthew chapter 1. But in verse uh, 18, here's what we read. But before the marriage took place, while she, that's Mary, was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly and so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Some of our translations say to divorce her quietly. But I want to spend a few moments kind of focusing in on, on a descriptor that's here of Joseph that most of the time I think we just gloss over and I think we just read passing. This is part of our Christmas story and so we just know these words. But the descriptor that's here is that he was a righteous man. If you're reading through the NIV, what you're going to find is it says that he was a man who was faithful to the law. And even when we read those words, what we kind of take away from that is that that Joseph was a good guy. That Joseph was probably a guy who went to church all the time. He was probably there every single Sunday. Joseph was a guy who, he was very polite to his neighbors. He was a guy that would have been the guy that always opened the door for all the people who were going in and out of the Target there in Nazareth, okay, good guy. But that's not why that descriptor is there. That description that shows up there is a technical term that speaks to someone's reputation in that day. And this phrase, a righteous man, is actually something in Hebrew that labels him. And it labels him as a Sadiq. Now, Sadiq was known for how devoted and faithful they were to the law, that they paid attention to every last detail of the Torah, that because Joseph was a righteous man, it means that that, that he would never have eaten unclean foods, foods, that he would have never hung out with disreputable people, that he would have never violated the Sabbath laws, that he would never have dismissed any of the holy days of Israel. And without a doubt as a righteous man who cared about his reputation, 
He would never enter into marriage with a woman who is pregnant with rumors flying around about whose child it actually was. See, that title of Sadiq, that was the highest honor that a simple carpenter in Nazareth could have possibly hoped to achieve in his life. And it's exactly the dream that Joseph had for his life. It was a dream that was a good reputation. It was a dream where everything was working to prove that he was someone who followed the law of God. And he was known for his reputation. That reputation was part of Joseph's dream. His hopes were that he would get married. And that as he got married, he would have children and that his children would be well-mannered that they would be respected in the community. And that dream, that vision, that picture of what was sitting in front of him was smashed the first moment that he heard that his betrothed wife was pregnant before they had ever come together. And everything about his dream and everything about his visions and everything about his hopes for the future were done. And here's the roller coaster. Joseph was a Sadiq. His reputation was absolutely solid. His business practice and his business life was secure. He had uh, all kinds of clients who were looking to him. He was engaged to be married to a woman that was from a good family, that, that had been known as a servant of God. The dream was coming together. Everything was happening exactly as Joseph had kind of mapped it out, exactly on the path that he had wanted to follow, highest high. And then this news comes. And right at the top of his highest highs, there is this dramatic drop that happened. And when the drop happened towards ground level and even below, everything was gone. And Joseph was a good guy. Yes, he was striving to be a righteous man. But have you ever considered this? There was nothing in the decree that was made by Caesar and nothing in the law of God that said that when the man was supposed to go to the town of his heritage that he had to take his family or his wife with him. There was nothing that said that Mary had to go. And it doesn't make really good sense to have a nine-month pregnant woman ride a donkey or a camel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And yet he took her with him, perhaps to protect her. Because you see, Joseph knew the law, and he was a man of good reputation. He was a man who had been studying the law, and and he knew that Deuteronomy chapter 22 said that if there was a woman who was found to be pregnant out of wedlock, that the people, the men of the city, had the right to stone her to death because of her sin. Is it possible that Mary was on this journey simply as protection from the good guy, Joseph, who was struggling with the fact that he was a good guy, but he was also a righteous man? Had he left her behind, he could have just turned her over to public disgrace, could have turned her over to public shame, maybe in the process regained some of his reputation, kind of taken care of these potential future paths that he wanted to go down and kind of reestablished that, that, that that could still happen for him, but instead he chose to do something that was far more gracious. And then an angel comes to Joseph. And the angel came to Joseph and said to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
And then a few verses later, we see Joseph's response when he says, when, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. And we hear that and we smile because that's part of the Christmas story. And it, it kind of takes us to that manger scene But what we don't tend to notice in these actions from Joseph is that Joseph's dream is done. Now, every one of us in this room fits into one of three categories. Every one of us here are either people who have had our hopes and our dreams dashed in the past or we are currently living in the free fall of watching the picture and the vision that we had for the future go away and we are distressed because that picture is, is our life now falling apart. Or we are in the future going to experience that disastrous feeling of shattered dreams. And I realize that that's all pretty depressing to say on the Sunday before Christmas. But I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here. I'm just trying to be a realist about how life actually works. Because it might be your health, or it might be relationships, or it might be finances, or it might be career, or it might be your marriage, it might be your kids. might be loss. Something to notice in this story of Joseph. The closer and closer that he got to full disappointment, to where everything was shattered, the closer God got to him. And God still works the same way with us. See, my guess is about Joseph is that from the moment that he found out that Mary was pregnant and the moment that he made the decision to kind of follow his faith rather than follow his dreams, the moment that he decided to give up on the righteous man thing to be the good guy, he was still in fix-it mode. In fact, every moment, every waking moment of his life, my guess is he was trying to figure out a way to fix all of this and still maintain both at the same time because that's what we do as guys. As guys, we try to fix. We, we even quit listening along the way. We just try and fix. It's who we are. Ladies, can I get an amen on that? Sometimes it's really, really good and sometimes it's really, really bad. And so when does God show up and talk to Joseph? He has to wait till Joseph falls asleep because it's the only time he, God can get a word in edgewise. And so just as a side note, just something for us to consider in this week and in this season, that whether this is the highest of highs for you or the lowest of lows for you, maybe there needs to be a moment during this season that you stop and get away with God, not so you can tell God all the things that are going on in your life, because he actually already knows. But you just stop to listen to him speak to you. And maybe he wants to say to you some of the same things that he said to Joseph. Because there's basically three things that God said to Joseph and that he's saying to all of us. And those three things show up pretty quickly and relatively easily to say. God says, don't be afraid. God says, take a risk. And God says, commit yourself to Jesus. It's the same thing he might say to us, but let me unpack those for just a moment. The first one's this. He says to Joseph very plainly, don't be afraid. Take Mary as your wife. Take Jesus as your son and call him Jesus. 
And the reason that he starts it all off by saying don't be afraid is because all of the decisions that followed that comment of don't be afraid are decisions that would be the costliest ones that Joseph would ever make in his life. See, for Joseph to take Mary as his wife and Jesus as his son, it basically means that he is binding himself to a woman who is thought to be an adulteress and to a boy who is thought to be illegitimate. And just consider a few things for Joseph that we don't find in scripture, but it's pretty logical that it would have taken place. Because of the decision that Joseph made, all of Joseph's righteous friends would never have come to his wedding because it would have been a disgrace. And all of his family would have shunned him and, and possibly even disowned him completely. I mean, th- this, is, this is the boy Joseph who had always been known as the good kid, who had been faithful and devout his whole life, and now he is never going to be seen or heard or talked about again as a righteous man. His reputation is done And we actually see this on display in the New Testament in ways that we really see by the fact of omission. Because people wonder what happened to Joseph. We've we've had that question ourselves. Where'd Joseph go? Joseph doesn't show up in the story when when Jesus is older. When when Jesus is in his ministry, there's no Joseph around. He was there when he was born. He was there when he was two. He was there when he was 12. But by the time he's 30, Joseph's no longer around. And so we can have all kinds of questions and theories about what happens to him. But maybe what's clearest is that exactly what Joseph thought was going to happen to his reputation and happen to his future happened. Because by the time we get to Jesus being 30 years old and starting his ministry in Nazareth, there is one time in all the Gospels that he is ever referred to as the carpenter's son. And the rest of the time, he's referenced as the son of Mary, which is completely illogical with the time that people were always referred to by the lineage of their father. Even the angel, when he came to talk to Joseph, called him the son of David. But Jesus is never mentioned, never called the son of Joseph, even by the the, the human standard. You see what it cost Joseph to make the choice that he made. The man with the dream, the the man with the hopes and the picture of how things would go for him and go for his family was largely forgotten by most. But I can tell you that there was one person who never really forgot what Joseph did that day. It was the child that he took in. It was the little boy that he would call son. And that boy never forgot what he saw in his father, Joseph. The son who watched his father come to the defense of a woman who had supposedly committed adultery and had compassion on her. The son who watched his father take on the shame and take on the disgrace and take on the scandal of another person so that that person could live. Does any of that sound like something that happened in the life of Jesus? See, no matter how hard it gets and no matter what situation you face, no matter how much it looks like life may seem to be over or that your path is done and your dreams are dashed, don't be afraid. Because God isn't far away. And God is not disinterested in you. God is close right now.
even if you can't see him, even if you can't hear him, even if you can't feel him, even if you're furious with him, See, if we thought that life was always supposed to be just highs all the time because we're following Jesus, then we missed something or we misunderstood something along the way. Jesus told us clearly that following him would cause and bring struggles and would bring storms. He never promised that we would never have unwanted gifts in our life, that we would never have unwanted circumstances in our life. But he did say that when those things happened, he would be right there beside us, whether we called on him or not, that he would be there with us. And that's why we do not have to be afraid. Second word from God to Joseph and then to us is to take a risk. You see, when the angel told Joseph to take Mary as his wife, what what he was saying was, you're gonna have to take a risk on this. Because you can't do this halfway. You can't be half-hearted in taking Mary as your wife, taking Jesus as your son. You don't get to kind of hedge your bets on this one and say, well, I'll kind of participate in that, but I'm still gonna try and do the righteous thing and it'll all work out in the end. You have to risk that God can do something good here even though you can't see it. And you have to risk that God is somehow gonna take this stuff that's going on as awful as it may be and as far down as it may you may think you're sinking, and that God can redeem it. And you have to risk that there is going to be hope, even though right now hope seems absolutely impossible. And I don't know what risk looks like for you right now. Maybe, maybe taking a risk is choosing to keep praying and choosing to keep reading your Bible and keep looking back at those scriptures over and over again, even though it feels to you like God is taking way too long or even though it feels as though God isn't listening to you. Or maybe for you the risk is not falling into bitterness and not falling into cynicism and not giving up. And maybe for you, the risk is loving a person that's in your life that is so hard to love. Or maybe it's deciding that you are going to help and that you are going to serve something or someone even though right now you are completely out of juice that you are just worn out, you are spent, and you are running on empty. Take a risk. And here's why we take a risk when it feels as though the path that we have or the dream that we have or the vision that we have or the picture that we have is suddenly no longer gonna be possible. The reason when the thing goes off the tracks that we take a risk with God is because the conclusion of your story has not been written yet. Just because the path doesn't look like the path that you had planned out doesn't mean that you know how the story ends. And running on empty and completely out of juice and doing his absolute best to fix the unfixable, that is exactly how God found Joseph. And what we don't get when we read through this story is that Joseph doesn't know what we know. Joseph is asked to take a risk, not knowing that gold and frankincense and myrrh is just around the corner. And not knowing that this boy is gonna cause people to marvel at his insight and his intelligence. And he doesn't know that Jesus is going to wow the very people that Joseph looks up to so much. He has none of that foresight sitting in front of him. He just has to take a risk because it's about his faith. 
And faith matters. And courage matters. And fight matters. And perseverance in the face of difficulty matters. And God will use it. And God will honor it. He did for Joseph. So take a risk. Last message from God to Joseph and then on to you and me. He said, commit yourself to Jesus. Let's start with that comment to Joseph. Do you think that Joseph ever regretted what he chose to do? Do you think that after the years that went by, and we realize that Joseph's not in the story when Jesus is 30 years old, but he was there when he was two, he was there when he was 12, he probably spent at least a couple of decades with Jesus. Do you think that he ever regretted all the conversations that they had? Do you think that he ever regretted all of the laughter that they got to spend together? And all the long walks and all of the anticipations of who this boy would become? Do you think that he regretted the moment that he saw and realized that this child born in scandal and surrounded by rumors was in fact actually in real life the savior of the world? Now we remember the manger scene and we remember Joseph in that moment, but do you think even in that moment did he ever think back to the moment previous when he made this decision to let his reputation go for the sake of the Savior. Do you ever think he just thought to himself, what if I didn't? What if I hadn't? What if I had given in to my fears? What if I hadn't taken the risk? What if I hadn't been willing to commit myself to the fate of this little boy even though I still don't fully understand him? And he had to realize that the challenges that he was facing in that choice were minuscule in comparison to the glory that he saw in his son who would become his savior. So this Christmas, do do you think that taking a risk to put aside your fears and take a step of faith where you feel called? Do you think that you're going to regret that? That you're gonna regret that day, that moment that you discovered that God actually had a plan in mind for you that was slightly different than yours or maybe even radically different than yours? When you see that on the backside of it, do you think that you'll regret it? that he was doing something that you couldn't see, that there was redemption and there was hope that he was providing for you. Even when life seemed like it was at its worst, even when it felt like you were plummeting to ground level and below. Whatever it is that you're walking through this season, whatever it is that's on your plate this Christmas, It's possible. That this season right here could be the moment that you discover that God is more present than you feel and is more capable than you anticipated. It's possible that God could use just one little act of faith from you, one step that you take that could change the course of your life. Maybe even change the course of history. It did for Joseph. So don't be afraid. Take a risk that you need to take. But if you take that risk, understand this. It is only going to work if you tie yourself to the fate and the future of this son who was born in this season 
that we call Christmas. He was the son who came to be your savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we are overwhelmed by the gifts that you have blessed us with over and over again. And there are times, maybe other times than Christmas, when we um, don't pay attention to the gifts that you have for us. And maybe we don't pay attention because we, we're afraid. We're afraid of disappointing you. We're afraid of disappointing those around us. We're afraid. We're afraid to, to, to lean into you because we're afraid that what we've heard may not be true. And yet you continue to tell us to take a risk. That even in the midst of our disappointment that you are closer than we could ever imagine. That you are not disinterested in us. And God, I just pray for us, each of us individually, that during this season we would celebrate the true meaning of this season, the gift that was sent, the gift that in the life of a man named Joseph seemed so unwanted and became something that he would not have traded for everything in the world. A gift that causes us to set fear aside. To let faith take over. And to commit ourselves to a baby in a manger who would become a savior walking out of an empty tomb. God, in this season, would you help us to know exactly about the gift that you have brought to us and to take steps of faith towards you. May you bring about the highest of highs, even amidst the lowest of lows. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you'd stand with me this morning. And maybe... Maybe the step that you need to take is that first step towards Jesus, his forgiveness, his grace. The invitation is always open to you to know that Jesus died on a cross and rose again for you as much as anybody else in the history of the world. And today, don't be afraid. Take a risk and commit yourself to Jesus. If you need to say yes to him today, we have folks who will be here to talk with you and answer questions for you and pray with you and help you get ready to be baptized even today. Or maybe it's a decision that you need to make to be part of this family here at First Christian. We'd love to have you with us as we seek to follow him in everything that we do. And so if you have one of those decisions to make, we invite you to walk right down these aisles as we sing together in just a moment. Like I said, there'll be folks here to talk with you and pray with you. But for the rest of us, may we lift our voices in praise and worship to our God, to our King, and to our Savior, the gift that was given to us at Christmas. Let's worship together. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive That mourns in lonely exile Until the Son of God appear We'll sing out Rejoice, rejoice Emmanuel Shall come to
Of all.